Get the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. If you were to pass away today, are you positive that you would wake up in heaven? Is there a way to be certain before it's too late? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares more evidence that can tell you right now whether or not you're a Christian. From 10 questions Christians are asking, here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, How Can I Be Sure of My Salvation? Most of us who have been Christians for any period of time have had times when we have doubted. I remember as a young man, uh, growing up in a Christian home, I had had a number of pre-conversion experiences. And then when I was a teenager, I really accepted Christ. But uh, there were some years after that where I had questions, am I sure? And it was only as I was directed to the scripture and understood what the Bible said that I finally came to a realization that I could be sure of my salvation, and you can be too. That's what these lessons are all about, and we'll talk some more about it in just a moment. You know, friends, we are now uh, watching God do some very important things through daily television. Um, our, Our daily television reach is growing. We're now on about 12 stations and networks. The networks are TBN, the NRB TV, Daystar, the Hillsong Channel, the History Channel. All of these stations carry our television program every day, Monday through Friday. Our newest edition, for which we are so excited, is the History Channel, 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time, every morning. Just about everybody can get that. And that means we are now making this teaching available on television to the entire country. Thank you for watching. Thank you for supporting this. This is a great opportunity for us to touch many lives with the gospel. But we're listening on radio today. We're here in the studio, and we're getting ready to cue up part two of How Can I Be Sure of My Salvation? In the Bible, there's a whole section on fruitfulness in John 15. There are some people who bear much fruit. There's some people that bear more fruit. And there's some people that bear fruit that remains, but there are no people that bear no fruit. You can't be a Christian if you don't have any evidence of it in your life. And we'll come to that again in a moment. Then there's the birthmark of compassion. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is what? Born of God and knows God. How can you be sure that you're a Christian? By what you believe, by how you live, and by who you love. Do you love other Christians? Now, let's be honest about it. Some Christians are really hard to love. You may even live with a couple in your own house. I'm not saying that Christians are easy to love, but the Bible says if you are a member of God's family, you have brothers and sisters in this family, and you like being with them. That's primarily where some of you come to church. You come to church, you're in a small group, you're in a Sunday school class, you sing in the choir. You love being with other people who've come to Christ. When you get saved, 
you are born into the forever family of God and in that family are other people and you instantly have an affinity for them. You say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, I got to tell you, man, I got some people that say they're Christians and they're hard. Man, I don't know how to love them. You know, the old poem that goes, to love the whole world for me is no chore. My only problem is the guy next door. That's where most of us are, you know. (laughs) We can love people in general, but loving them, I'm just going to be vulnerable here today and tell you guys. The church does attract some strange people. I remember reading somewhere that Dr. Harry Ironside, who once was the pastor of the Moody Church, was riding on a train, and the lady came up to him while he was riding on the train, and she said, I have a question i got to ask you. And he said, what's that? She said, why are there so many weird and strange people in the church? And Dr. Ironside said, wherever there is light, there's bugs. So maybe we got some bugs. I don't know. But what I do know is that if you claim to be a Christian, you better have some love in your heart for other Christians. Let me take you through a little progression here in the book of 1 John. In 1 John 4, 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. In 1 John 4, 8, it says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In 1 John 4, 9, and 10, it says, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. In 1 John 4, 19, it says, We love him because he first loved us. If God is love and love is of God, and I love God because he first loved me, and Jesus is the expression of God's love to me, listen to the final point. We ought to love one another. 1 John 4, 11, because God so loved us, we ought to love one another. This is what I'll call the brother test. Do you love men and women who are in the family of God. You don't know them, never heard of name before, never saw their face before, but they're family because they're part of God's wonderful family. I'm just trying to help you, and this should really encourage you because so many of you, that's true of you. You love God's people. That's just one of the birthmarks of being a Christian. What do you believe? How do you live? Who do you love? Here's the fourth one, the birthmark of conflict. And I just want to touch on this briefly. But here's what it says in 1 John 5, 4. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. How many of you know that when you get saved, all of a sudden you realize there's conflict in your life? I've heard people say this. If you get saved, all your problems are over. Forget that. When you get saved, if you know the Bible, you start having problems you never had before in your whole life. Because you've lived a certain way for your whole life. Now you've been saved and you've changed. And all of a sudden people are saying, what happened to old Dave? What do you mean you don't want to go out and drink with us tonight after work or whatever? All of a sudden now you're a Christian and you're in an environment. How many of you know if you're a Christian today, it's like swimming upstream. Everything's coming back at you. You're going upstream. And there's going to be conflict. And you're going to have some battles. And let me tell you what I know about battles. You win some and you lose some. All of us. But what happens when you really have the real disease of Christianity? I can use that term. 
you start to notice that you're winning some battles. You're not losing them all like you used to. You're winning some. And little by little, as you yield yourself to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life, you begin to win more battles. The conflict doesn't always make you a victim. Now you've started to become a victor. Little by little. This is what it says. Whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Are you becoming more and more of an overcomer? As your Christian life unfolds for you, you'll be able to look back over it and say, you know what? Wow, look what God has done. I know some people come and and they say, well, I got saved and I went home and took all of the liquor in my house and dumped it in the sink and threw all my cigarettes away, all of this, and it was an instant change and everything from that on. That isn't the normal experience, let me tell you that. It's great when that happens, but it doesn't always happen that way. What happens is the Holy Spirit sets up a beachhead in your heart and he starts working at you one room at a time. All of a sudden, one day, you realize you're uncomfortable with that. And I've had this experience. People will come to me, and they got saved in one of our services, or maybe they, somebody led them to Christ, and they'll say, you know what, Pastor Jeremiah, let me tell you what's happened. And they'll tell me about a bunch of things they don't do anymore and changes that have happened. And I'll think, I haven't even preached on that. You know, I don't need to preach on it because they have the blessed Holy Spirit living in their heart. And his first name is Holy. Right? So when the Holy Spirit comes to live within your heart, he starts trying to make you holy like he is. And if you've really been saved, you will notice, first of all, you'll notice a discomfort from things which you never were bothered by before. I think that when God saves us, he gives us this little piece of equipment called the automatic sin alarm system. And it goes off, doesn't it? You're headed down to do something, and all of a sudden this thing goes off, and you become sensitive to the things that you weren't sensitive to before. And it never stops, men and women. It never stops. Always. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit and your informed conscience working on you. I was talking to a really good friend of mine who is the agent who works with our books. And he mentioned the name of somebody who was going to do something. And I heard myself say something about that person that wasn't negative, but it wasn't positive either. And it did not reflect what I should have said. And I hung up the phone and I went back to my work and I had this discomfort in my spirit. And finally I just had to say, Lord, what is going on here? And he pointed to that. He said, you shouldn't have said that. That wasn't fair. And I had to pick up the phone and call him up and say, look, thanks for all the stuff we talked about today. I just want to make something clear. I want to make sure you understand my heart about this person. I said something that could have been taken the wrong. You see, why would I do that? I would have just blown right by that if I didn't have Christ. I wouldn't even think any of that's the way life is. But when Christ comes to live within your heart, he gives you a sensitivity to things that you never had before. Are you with me on that? You start winning some battles. And then the last one is the most difficult one, and I'm going to spend the rest of my little time on this, so I want you to listen carefully so you get this right, because if you don't get it right, you'll really be messed up. All right? The birthmark of conduct. Now, I'm going to read some verses to you, and I want you to hang in there with me after I read these and don't check out. Because when you read these at face value, they seem to say something that's just overwhelming, and you just say that, I'm, just, I'm done. First John 3, 9. Whoever is born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. 
1 John 5.18, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Now these verses, especially verse 9, have puzzled Christians as much as any other verses in the Bible. If we are not careful, we might interpret them to teach that anyone who is born of God never sins. And that would be in direct conflict with many other passages in the Bible, like Romans 3.23, which says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you read 1 John that way, out of context, you will not be made sure of your salvation, but rather you will be made sure that you don't have salvation. The only sinlessly perfect person ever to walk on this earth was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And James was right when he wrote in his little book that we all stumble in many ways, James 3, 2. The fact is we are all sinners, and even after we become Christians, we still sin, don't we? We commit sins. So what is John saying when he says, whoever is born of God does not sin? Well, first of all, let me get you into the context and show you what he's talking about when he's talking about sin. In this context, he defines it in verse 4. Here's what he says. Whoever commits sin commits lawlessness, and sin is the transgression of the law. When John writes about sin in this context, he's talking about rebellion against the law of God as it is revealed in the Bible. He's talking about conscious, intentional violation of God's law. Every day, we all sin by omitting something that we should do, committing something that we should not do. We sin in word. We sin in deed. Does that mean we're no longer saved? Absolutely not. When we sin as believers and we're made aware of our sin, we come boldly before the throne of grace and we confess it and we ask God to forgive us and we forsake our sin. We may have to go through this many times, even with the same sin, but we never just accept sin as a way of life. What John is saying here is this. If you can live your life in willful rebellion against God and believe that you are a Christian, you're deceiving yourself. The message of 3.9 is very clear. The word for sin is in the present active tense, and it describes a continuous action. You could actually translate it by the word practice. If you practice sin, you are not born of God. John is not saying that whoever sins once is not born of God. That would disqualify all of us. That would certainly disqualify me. But John is saying, whoever keeps on sinning, whoever keeps on rebelliously violating God's law, whoever thinks that because he claims to be a Christian, he can live any way that he wants, whoever does that is not born of God. The text actually says, whoever sin is doing. (laughs) That's the literal context. Whoever sin is doing. Look at verse 9 again. Whoever is born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. Did you know that when you become a Christian, you get God's DNA? Did you know that? When you become a Christian, God puts his nature in you. He doesn't take the old nature away. That's for another day. But he puts his nature in you. It says his seed comes to live within you. You are born of God, so you have God's nature. The nature of God is in you. And God's holy nature is in direct conflict with all sin. 
when we have God's seed in us, we will never become comfortable with sinning. Let's face it, we will never keep all of his commandments. We will never always love other people the way we should. We will never always do the right things. But the fact is that these experiences now have come into our lives when they were absent before, and that gives us assurance that the new life is present, and we don't just continue rebelliously living our life and saying, well, I prayed a prayer, or I came forward, or I signed a card, so I'm going to heaven. Now I can just live any way I want. You're fooling yourself. When you stand before God someday, he will say to you, I never knew you. You say, Pastor Jeremiah, that's so harsh. No, it's true. If the Bible is correct, and I know it is, what he says is when you become a Christian, you can't just be like you were before because God's nature has come to live within you, and he's going to change you. It may be little by little, but there will be a change in your life. All of this easy believism, this fire escape Christianity that we hear today, it's bogus. It's not true. And that's why in many of our churches we have people who think they're going to go to heaven someday when they die because they prayed some prayer or they signed a card, but there's no evidence that any change has taken place in their life. I want to tell you something. If Jesus Christ truly comes to live in your life, you cannot be the same. It changes you. And so as I said before, this message not only should comfort the afflicted, but it should afflict the comfortable too. I don't want to be guilty as your pastor of giving you some easy believism and then you miss it. Here's some good things for you to check on. Number one, what do you believe? Number two, how do you behave? Number three, who do you love? What's it like for you? Are you winning any battles in the world? And are you sensitive to sin in your life or are you comfortable with it? It's amazing to me, friends, how many people are so blatant about this, even to their pastor. People come to me, periodically and say, well, I know this is wrong. I know what the Bible says about this, but I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to ask God to forgive me after I do it. That's so presumptuous. I'd be really afraid to do that. As we close, I want to just give you a couple of practical things that I hope will help you. When I was a boy growing up, I grew up in a pastor's family. My father was a preacher. I heard the gospel every Sunday, morning, noon, and night. I've told you all, I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church every time the doors were open. Remember that? Yeah. I went to church more than you should ever go to church, man. I'm telling you. And so when I was a little boy, my father would preach as I do, and he'd give an invitation, and people come forward. And I remember one time when I was about four years old, I went forward because the invitation was given, and I was baptized, and... When I became a teenager, I had a lot of questions. I couldn't remember the details. I just had the lack of assurance in my heart because I wasn't sure if I knew what I was doing when I was a kid. We sometimes call that a pre-conversion child experience. That's not bad. But I remember when I was an older teenager, I really came to the point where I came to grips with what it meant to be a Christian. And I prayed this prayer, and I want to suggest this is a good prayer. I prayed, Lord... I don't know if I was really saved when I was four-year-old, but if I wasn't, I want you to know I want to be saved now. And I invite you into my heart. If I didn't do it then, if I didn't pray then, if I didn't understand what I was doing, I want to go through my life with assurance and not with doubt. So if I didn't ask you to come in back then, I ask you now. I'm not talking about being saved twice. I don't think that's true. But that's a prayer that will give you assurance. You know, it's a simple thing. I mean, it just makes sense, doesn't it? If I didn't do it for sure, I'm doing it for sure now. I don't want to mess around with this and think that just because I grew up in a Christian family and I had some kind of emotional experience when I was a little kid that I'm saying, I wanted to be sure. 
And I was baptized after I became sure. That's the first thing I want to leave with you. Some of you may need to do that. Secondly, the one thing that most people tell me that keeps them from being assured is that they've done something that they think God can't forgive. I've had lots of ladies come to me and women come to me and say that they'd had an abortion when they were younger and weren't walking with the Lord. They don't think God can forgive that. Or they've committed adultery or they've been unfaithful or whatever. You can just list the whole thing. Sometimes they've been in prison. They think God's going to hold that against them. I'm going to tell you a little story. This kind of leaves this on a little lighter note. But I read this story from Max Licato. And it helps a lot to nail this point. He said that he was dropped by his insurance company because he had won too many speeding tickets and a minor fender bender that wasn't his fault. Now, first of all, I have a lot of respect for him to confess that, that he had all those speeding tickets, and I'm not going to tell you about mine. (laughs) One day, he received a letter in the mail informing him to seek coverage elsewhere, and as he reflected on how he wasn't good enough for his insurance company, The spiritual tie-in was too obvious. Many people fear receiving such a letter from God. And Lakeda writes, some worry they already have received that letter. So he imagines this correspondence straight from the pearly gates and the underwriting division of heaven. Dear Mrs. Smith, I'm writing in response to this morning's request for forgiveness. I'm sorry to inform you that you have reached your quota of sins. Our records show that since employing our services, you have erred seven times in the area of greed, and your prayer life is substandard when compared to others of like age and circumstance. Further review reveals that your understanding of doctrine is in the lower 20 percentile, and you have excessive tendencies to gossip. Because of your sins, you are a high-risk candidate for heaven. You understand that grace has its limits. Jesus sends his regrets and kindest regards and hopes you'll find some other coverage somewhere else. (laughs) Why are you laughing at that? I'll tell you why you're laughing at it, because it's ridiculous, isn't it? If the Son of God who gave his life on the cross for our sin was willing to pour out his blood, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And those words were written to people who were already saved. Here's what you need to understand. There's nothing you can do that will push you beyond. There are no limits to grace. If you're a Christian, if you've confessed your faith before Christ, and you're not sure because you did something since then that really you know grieves God and grieves you, here's what you need to do, brother, sister. Tell God you're sorry. Confess it and ask him to forgive it, and he will. And the same blood that he shed on the cross is enough to cover all the sin that you have done. And he will restore you to fellowship. And you don't need to walk through life as a question mark. You need to walk through life as an exclamation point. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. Say that with me again. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. Amen. Well, I hope the result of this uh, message is that you have greater confidence in your own salvation than you did before. There is no reason for you to go through life with doubts. And I hope you can put an exclamation point at the end of your salvation 
and remove any questions that you may have had. Tomorrow here on Turning Point, we're going to talk about how can I overcome temptation? And we're going to look at a very famous verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which is kind of the central passage in the Bible about dealing with temptation. So if you struggle with temptation, to some degree we all do, you want to listen tomorrow, we'll have some truth from the Word of God that will strengthen you and help you and nourish you up in the good Word of God. Don't forget, during this month, if you haven't already done so, you can order uh, the book that contains the information from all of these messages. Ten Questions Christians Are Asking is available for a gift of any size, and we would be delighted to send this book to you as our way of saying thank you for your investment. It's 230 pages. It's a hardback book. It is produced by the Turning Point Publications and not available anyplace else. If you want this book, you have to get it here. And you can do that by just sending a gift of any size to Turning Point. Your gifts are tax deductible, and they help us with the cost of airtime and production. They make what you receive every day possible. So once again, send a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month and ask for the book. 10 questions Christians are asking. And I hope the book will be a blessing to you. I'm sure it will. We'll see you tomorrow. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. How has your life been impacted by this ministry? Let us know by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, and learn to live with greater confidence. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, here on Turning Point. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. If you want to know how fruitful nature is, just ask any gardener. Weeds spring up overnight without any help at all. A dormant weed seed just needs a bit of moisture and it will be off and growing. Fruitful reproduction is built throughout God's creation, even in the spiritual realm. 
And that's why Paul told Timothy to pass on to others what he had learned so spiritual reproduction would continue to the next generation. It's important to ask, where are you reproducing the work God has done in your life? God is at work in you for your sake and the sake of those you touch every day. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's fruitfulness on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.